Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Rating Room Podcast, it's Jay and Andy again. In today's instalment we embark on a remarkable journey back to the shocking landscape of World War II as we dive deep into the critically acclaimed masterpiece directed by Steven Spielberg. This is Season 2, Episode 9, Saving Private Ryan. Set during the brutal Normandy invasion in World War II, the film follows Captain Miller and his squad as they embark on a dangerous mission to locate and bring home Private James Francis Ryan, the sole surviving brother of four servicemen. Through the harrowing journey, the soldiers face unimaginable horrors and personal sacrifices, highlighting the realities of war and the unwavering bonds formed in the face of adversity. Jay, that is Saving Private Ryan in a nutshell. First question, same question as always. Have you seen the film before and what do you remember about it? Yes, I remember the general plot of the film. Uh, I've seen it a few times, used to have it on DVD. I remembered watching the film for the very first time, probably as a teenager. Uh, I remember watching it with my grandparents and my mum and dad. And I also remembered, I know he's not in in the film a lot, or he, he's in it, but you don't have many talking parts is Vin Diesel as well but I also remembered it was very gritty very realistic probably the most realistic World War II film at that point um, that you know that's ever been out and I also remembered the scene where we're talking about it later on where one of the troops is frozen on the stairs while he's one of his colleagues are being slowly killed that just really stands out that one what about you, Andy? Have you seen this one before and what did you remember? Yeah, I think I've seen it a couple of times, but to be honest, I don't remember a great deal of the detail. There's Basically, I remember the, the idea of the plot, which was they're saving Private Ryan, spoiler alert, And uh, but the only detail that really came back, but this was more whilst I was watching as opposed to in advance, was FUBAR and uh, the meaning of FUBAR, which I, I won't repeat because of uh, the F in FUBAR, but... Um, I just remember it being quite a cool acronym and then I think we you know, set it all around the playground when the teachers weren't listening the next day sort of thing. Um, but uh, a ver- I remember it being a very, very good film, but it's been quite a while since I've seen it, so the detail was lacking for me. So, FUBAR, Andy, I don't know if you've seen on Netflix, there's a FUBAR TV show with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I have indeed. I've not seen it. I've seen it advertised, though. It does look pretty good. You usually can't go wrong with an Arnie. Well, it's not a film, is it? It's a series in this case. It is a series, yeah. We've only watched the first episode and then we kind of paused it. So we got distracted by watching some other programs. But it's definitely one we want to go back. And the leading lady, I can't remember her name, but she's one of the pilots in the Top Gun Maverick film. A very good film, if I may say so. I won't, I won't give it a rating out of 10 in case it ever comes up in a future episode. But it's very good. It is very good. And talking about very good Finns, we, we've got a very strong cast here. We've obviously mentioned Vin Diesel and Tom Hanks, so Tom Hanks does play Captain Miller. Yeah, there's uh, Edward Burns as Richard Ryben. And we've got Tom Sizemore as Mike Horvath. Jeremy Davis plays the role of Timothy Upham. And Matt Damon as James Francis Ryan. Let's talk about the money. So we've got the budget, which is $68 million. Box office, $485 million. That's a, a big box office and obviously we can look at the rankings and ratings later on and that means the adjusted box office in today's money was 902.7 million dollars that is a very healthy chunk of change the movie actually was the top grossing film on the weekend box office charts and maintained its position for four consecutive weekends until it was eventually dethroned by blade starring wesley snipes which then obviously took over the number one spot good film blade Did you, I'm going off topic here, Andy, because I know you're a little bit younger than me, but you know when you first started going clubbing, did they still play that Blade song in nightclubs? Because when I was going out clubbing as a young lad, there were that song. You know where, you know, Blade and Wesley Snipes is walking at the beginning and he goes into like a nightclub, it's that music in the background. Oh, I'm not going to try to sing it. I don't don't know the, the film well enough to remember the song, to be honest. Yeah, and it, you know, really, you yeah. started going to the clubs probably twenty years before I did. 
I think I started when I was 16. So I think there must have only been, obviously, three or four years <laughs> before you, I'm guessing. You might have been an early starter, though. Who knows? Uh, 18 is the legal drinking age in the UK, so that's when I first <laughs> went clubbing. Honest, I don't it was. So... The film stayed in the top 10 charts for an impressive 12 weeks, which I'm, I'm not surprised, really. And it did start, obviously, slowly dropping down the charts. Now, Saving Private Ryan did experience a resurgence in the box office charts during February um, 1999, when it jumped from 23 to 5, and it stayed in the top 10 then for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I assume this must be to do with the Oscars. The Academy Awards are usually announced in February, so I assume it would have been that year. Uh, the number of theatres showing the film actually doubled in that period of time as well. It went from 502 to over 1,000 during that period. So that's certainly going to help with that box office chart standing. Yeah, definitely. It's all contributing to the, to the coffers there. So in 1998, Saving Private Ryan did emerge as the highest grossing film in the United States. Now, it surpassed notable titles. And these are some good films here. Armageddon. There's something about Mary, which I've only ever seen once. A Bug's Life, which is is okay. And The Water Boy, which is one of those films I probably like it less than the average person on the street. Do you have a view on any of those ones, Andy? I'm just wondering why what you have a problem with with the average person on the street. <laughs> <laughs> I think Water Boy The Water Boy is one of those films that People just generally like, and I just think, oh, it's okay. But that's the same with um, Adam Sandler films. I just think they're okay. I, I tend to agree with you. The notable exception being Happy Gilmore, which is an absolute classic. I may have mentioned it on the, on the pod in previous episodes, but Happy Gilmore is one of those films where I will stop everything to watch it if it's on the TV. Must have seen it 20 times. I've only ever seen it once. It's very, very good. Very good. Maybe it's something we can do in the future. Could be. We'll, we'll note that down. Uh, but yeah, very very good list of films there that you've given, and I'm probably I like all of them. But uh, to be highest grossing above all of those is a pretty impressive, uh, pretty impressive efforts. And speaking of impressive efforts, uh, we mentioned the Academy Awards a couple of minutes ago. The film actually received eleven Academy Award nominations, only two behind Shakespeare in Love. And it won five of the Academy Awards. Uh, Jay, reel off the categories for me, because I bet you know them off heart. <laughs> Do I know them off by heart? Let's see. Best Cinematography, Best Director, Best Film Editing, Best Sound, and Best Sound Effects Editing. So a lot of technical ones apart from the first two. Yeah, the uh, the lesser awards, I would argue. Some may, some may not, but uh, you only really care about Best Film, Best Director, Best Actor. They're the only ones that really matter, aren't they? Well, surprisingly, and I have not done any research into this, you would have thought they would have won, I'm just thinking now, they must have won for, um, like, makeup or something. I'm going to quickly Google that, Andy, and then if there isn't one, you can cut it out. It's got to be a nomination, at least. Uh, while you Google that, I will tell you that Tom Hanks was nom- nominated for an Academy Award, but lost out to Roberto Benigni. And apologies for that pronunciation. Um, for the film Life is Beautiful, which I must admit I have never heard of. So that's me showing my ignorance of uh, of the cinema world. I yeah, I've heard of I've heard of that and I've heard the film Life is Beautiful. And Andy, I it is it's quite fresh in my mind because on TikTok I saw a movie clip um of the Life is Beautiful. And I've never seen the film. So there is a best category for best makeup and hairstyling, Andy, in the Academy Awards. And was Saving Private Ryan nominated for such, or did you not Google that far? I, Putting you on the spot here now, aren't I? I have, yeah. Googled, I have Googled, Andy. You know me, I'm very thorough. It lost out to Elizabeth. So it was nominated with Shakespeare in Love and Elizabeth, and it lost out. Probably, the, probably a lot more makeup and hairstyling going on in those films, I would imagine. You don't need a, you don't need a decent hairdo for war. Well, Vin Vin Diesel didn't. Did he he so definitely didn't best win best haircut. <laughs> did he? So Saving Private Ryan did lose to Shakespeare in Love in the best picture category, and this is still known as one of the biggest upsets in the history of the awards, and it did cause some tension between DreamWorks and Miramax as well, and DreamWorks did accuse Miramax of overly 
aggressive campaigning. Ooh, a little bit of scandal going on in the background. A 2015 poll of Academy voters suggested that given another opportunity, they would have voted Saving Private Ryan as best picture, which is quite interesting. Is that is that an admittance of guilt or is that just hindsight being 2020? I guess we'll never know. It's and have you seen Shakespeare in Love? I want to say I have, but if I did, it wasn't memorable enough for me to care. I used to have it on DVD, and I think one of the one of the reasons why I got it is because of how it was marketed, especially us after the Academy Awards. You know, beating Saving Private Ryan, you would assume it's going to be a really good film, and it is okay. But if you give me a choice of watching the film tonight, Saving Private Ryan, or Shakespeare in Love. I'm, I'm always going to pick Saving Private Ryan. Now, Saving Private Ryan won two awards um, from its five nominations at the Golden Globe Awards, and that was in the Best Director and Best Motion Picture Drama categories. Yeah, Golden Globes have always been a brighter bunch, haven't they? Um, let's peel a layer off the onion and go a little bit deeper. So the, the film was released in 1998, as mentioned before. Steven Spielberg was the director and John Williams was char- in charge of the soundtrack and composing. So Saving Private Ryan was inspired by the books of Stephen E. Ambrose and he researched into the families who had multiple casualties. And I've read a couple of his books and I remember Band of Brothers and some other ones that he did. The interesting reads if you do like World War films or history uh, i can't say i've read any of his books but it's good to see that level of research which is probably only matched by the rating room podcast in terms of research uh, levels and, and teams uh, but it it doesn't help make the film more realistic and another thing that helps make the film helps make the film more realistic easy for me to say is the cast undertook a week-long boot camp to help understand the soldier experience as it were so that's, um, that's quite the sacrifice for the craft, I would say. It is, Andy. And there's a really interesting podcast episode um, that's done by the, the makers of Band of Brothers, which I think is HBO. And they did a very similar thing where they, they took the cast members of the Band of Brothers TV program and they, they had to go through the whole drill camp. And this they were talking to the actors um, that was part of the Band of Brothers regiment. Can't think what they're called now. Yeah, I can't remember what their, what their regiment's called. Um, but it was really interesting hearing how they all had to go through everything. It was, um, it was fascinating. Now, Matt Damon had featured in a number of films before being cast in Saving Private Ryan. And these include the very, very good, brilliant film, I would even say, Good Will Hunting. I watched that again not too long ago. Um, which he also co-wrote with Ben Affleck, which is, I think, quite common knowledge. Um, and The Rainmaker, which I don't think I've ever seen. Chasing Amy, brilliant Kevin Smith film. And Courage Under Fire, which, again, is a film I've probably only seen once or twice. Anything jump out there, Andy? I mean, I've only seen Goodwill Hunting of that list. I'm a little bit behind you in terms of my cinema knowledge there. But, uh, yeah, I watched it recently as well, actually. It must have been in the last three or four months maybe it must be getting a lot of play on sky or one of the streaming sites because i i just it must be now tv Andy, because i don't have sky and i remember flicking through and i watched it and it was a scene when i first started watching it was where ben affleck's character is in like a cafe chatting up um these two ladies and that obnoxious student <laughs> was trying to show him up but then matt damon comes in and shows him up yeah classic scene that and you know you've got if memory serves robin williams who is or was sadly a tremendous actor we've 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 probably mentioned robin williams on previous episodes of the pod or at least in conversation big big fan and this this was one of his better films but let's get back to this film which is one of hanks's better films arguably he gave a copy of the script to Steven Spielberg, as the pair had wanted to work together for some time. And apparently, the chairman of Viacom had Steven Spielberg flip a coin to see which company would have the film distribution rights. That's um, leaving a big decision to chance there. Spielberg won the toss, and DreamWorks, the company he co-founded, secured the North American distribution rights, 
which left Paramount with the international rights. So amazing how such a trivial act as flipping a coin can really change the direction. Well, not so much the direction, but change the, the business of the movie. I think it really highlights how powerful Steven Spielberg is. Because I think if you... The majority of directors, I don't think, would have any kind of sway. But obviously, you know, because he's heavily involved with um, DreamWorks, as you said, he obviously co-founded. He can can do that, put that down to a coin toss. Very powerful, man. It must be nice to be the powerful director like that. One day, Jay. I'm not even the most powerful adult in my house, Andy. So <laughs> <laughs> I stand no chance. Yeah, my, my ranking of power comes below a six-year-old. <laughs> Soon to be seven-year-old. So by the time this goes out, it'll be seven. But, uh, <laughs> I'm still irrelevant. I'm still lower deck. <laughs> so we we talked about some facts. So let's start you know, talking about the film now that me and Andy have recently watched. The film opens with an old man walking, and it's one of those scenes where... When you watch it, or when you start re-watching it, you think, oh yeah, I remember that. And it's the old man walking, he's being closely followed by his wife and family, and he, he falls to his knees at the grave. And the camera focuses on the old man's face. So you don't know who he is at this point. And we're taken back to 6th of June, 1944, Omaha Beach. This is beautifully done, Andy, because that first scene is, is quite slow, and obviously in doing the present day, and then you, you cut straight away to the beach scene, and it's just so brutal. And it's it's I know it's being described as being realistic as you know army veterans as well when they've seen the film, and you can hear Captain Miller, and his hearing is muffled because of all the explosions, and the audience experience the same as the Captain Miller. You know what Tom Hanks is going through. And the note I made here is, I wonder what this scene feels like in kind of 3D or, if you know, in virtual reality headset. It must be so shocking. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, your, your use of the word experience there, because that is really what this is. It's not a scene, it's an experience, isn't it? Um, to be honest, I didn't make a great deal of notes during this whole sequence. I just thought the whole thing was really, really well done. It was brutal, it was graphic, but it, it was also, it was non-stop, it was relentless. You just, everything was happening, there was no time to breathe. It was just so full-on and brilliantly done. Um, I was super impressed with this whole sequence. A couple of notes I did take. Uh, one was around Miller, he was dragging a soldier up the beach to save him. And then there's more gunfire, and when he looks back, he's only dragging the top half of his body because his legs have been blown off. I mean, that, that was a... Uh, pretty brutal part of the scene as well and there was another thing that stood out to me which was and i'm scratching my head as i'm talking about this because i know (laughs) know what i'm about to say but it just i remember it so vividly there's a bullet a bullet bounces off a soldier's helmet and so he takes the helmet off to like look at it in shock because he's like oh my god i've just been saved by this helmet but as he's taking his helmet off he gets shot in the head and well it just incredibly powerful i thought it is. It's. It's like what, like you know, I mentioned um, just a few minutes ago, where people, army veterans that, that went to see the film, had just said how realistic it is. And Andy, I can't remember um, if I've asked you this before, but I've used to play a lot of Call of Duty games, Medal of Honor, Battlefield, etc. And you're just running around, you know, shooting various people when you're playing online or as you're playing through the campaign, and you just think, oh. You know, it's just a game. You just respawn and you just carry on. And imagine going through that. Well, luckily, we obviously will never have to go through that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it is just so bull. It, and they just capture it so well. And it, like, there's certain bits like you mentioned about where the 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 Miller is dragging that soldier, but the way the camber is um, focused, you can't see that. It's only like he's missing his legs until like you know it it does a little cut or something and it's just it's just so like you said we didn't make many notes there because you're just so engrossed aren't you with this whole scene yeah you're fascinating but it's you don't want to stop but because you can't look away so to stop and make notes or to make notes and then you miss something it's just like no i'm just gonna absorb everything that's going on yeah and there's um there's a bit there where someone says what's the rally point and then Captain Miller says, anywhere but here. 
and they're just, they're just trying to get into cover and just carry on moving up um, the beach. And we see the troops slowly working their way up. And the exact number of casualties is unknown, but a, a bit of research that we've done shows that the number of casualties were around the 2,400 mark. And they do make it to the bunkers. And we see Mike, um, Tom Sizemore character, collect some soil um, in a tin labelled France. Now, he has two other tins here labelled Italy and Africa. And I made a little note, and I know you did as well, Fancy collecting and carrying these around with you. Fair enough, he might have collected it from Italy and Africa, but you would have imagined he kind of kept them in some kind of locker before coming to France <laughs> to do the, you know, the, the beach uh, mission. I'm sure there's a reason for it. I'm sure there are listeners out there that will have much better knowledge than you or I, but is it ever explained why he does it? I think it's just a memento. You know, there, there's people that might... So, have you seen Band of Brothers? I can't remember. If I've not, no. I w- it, it looks incredible, and then I never got around to watching it. But I, I really want to. So, Band of Brothers was done after this film, Andy, Saving Private Ryan, but Tom Hanks and Spielberg produced Band of Brothers. And in Band of Brothers, there's one character that is looking for a particular type of German gun. I think it's a Luger. So they collect fins, just momentum, mementos as part of the um, just a war effort. Okay, that, that's interesting. I, I I wondered whether it was there was something scientific behind it, like they were collecting samples. But I just couldn't fit the two things together. Why Why would you be in a war zone but wanting to scientifically test the soil? I'm not sure, but it just it, it felt a little bit un, unexplained. I would say and. Um, as the scene continues, or as the sequence continues, uh, Miller exclaims, it's quite a view. And at this point, the camera pans across the beach, blood and bodies and just general mayhem everywhere. And then the focus of the camera zooms in on the backpack of a dead soldier with the name Ryan, initial S. And that will become very, very important to the story in uh, in about three, two, one. So we find out that the mum of the Ryan brothers will get some letters to inform her that three of her songs have died. Now, the location and status of the fourth brother is unknown. And obviously what the film is, is searching for good old Matt Damon. So we see the army officer and the vicar arrive at the mum's house and she falls to the ground in the doorway. That, that is obviously some terrible news that she's getting. Yeah, uh, just backing up a second. Um, there's a scene at an office building where they Obviously, they're talking about it, and it's somewhat innocuous. It's just, uh, you know, it's an office. There's people there typing away. But just think of the death toll when they've got people typing letters, informing their families of the loss of a loved one. requires a team of people working around the clock. That is is just obscene in terms of what that, what that must mean for the actual death toll of the war. You must get desensitized by it if you're a worker but although um the 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 lady that picks it out obviously isn't just turned off she you know she's keeping her senses isn't she because she's picked out the letter yeah she's twigged obviously that there are there's a similarity at the very least now the army bigwigs are talking about the ryan brothers and one of them reads a letter about the death of five brothers by abraham lincoln so they decide, based on that, that they've got to go and find the missing Ryan brother and bring him back home. It's a rescue mission, but arguably more than that, it's a PR mission, isn't it? It is, yeah. And we now cop back to France, and Captain Miller's providing an update. And he's given another tough assignment, and it's to find Private Ryan, the missing brother. Yeah, I uh, heard a quote that caught my ear, and that was, it's like finding a needle in a stack of needles. Good little quote there, Andy. Now, Captain Miller, he has to recruit a new member for his mission that speaks French and German. Now, this is Timothy Upham. He is a nervous Nelly. That's the, that's the note I wrote, but he's... Um, if, I, if I were allowed to swear on this podcast, I'd probably say something like, he's shitting a brick. Yeah, he, he might be able to speak French and German, but he, he isn't the most brave um, member of Miller's team. Now... The troops do depart on the latest mission. It's just non-stop, is it? And they've just done this brutal mission of, um, you know, evading 
making the way for the beach and now they've got to go inland to find and save Private Ryan. Now some of the troops are not happy with this and they do discuss this while they're you know why they're the walking and they're, they're saying why are we risking all our lives just to save one man. Yeah but they they agree that it must be done so the crew is assembled and I made a pun here in my notes and you ruined it with your talk of a few couple of minutes ago <laughs> but my note here which I, th- I was really proud of you could say these are a real band of brothers you see what I did there and that's it's fallen flat forget it when I saw you write that Andy that's why I assumed you watched Band of Brothers because you knew the history of Spielberg and Hanks because Tom Hanks's son is in Band of Brothers I did I've not I know of it and I know it was Spielberg and Hanks related I've never actually seen it but I just thought here I am giving you a genius line. This is the sort of thing that's going to win podcast awards for best quote and, and all this kind of stuff. But no, you just killed it. Deader than Kelsey's nuts. But anyway, let's get back to the film. I'll stop sulking now. Uh, so they approach a village that's been attacked. Uh, Capazzo, who's played by Vin Diesel, is taken down by a German sniper. The kid's fault. If you've seen the scene, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's definitely the kid's fault. Jackson, played by Barry Pepper, takes down the German sniper. Brilliant shot uh, through the sniper scope of the German sniper rifle. I thought that was incredible shooting, has to be said. Um, Very, very memorable scene. And uh, for those keeping score at home, Pepper would later film The Green Mile with Tom Hanks the following year. Now, as we move on, there's a scene where they're walking through a village talking to Paul Giamatti's Sergeant William Hill. And a wall collapses and a whole bunch of German soldiers on the other side. Very brief standoff. And then the re- American reinforcements arrive to take out the German soldiers. I thought that was quite... Funny is the wrong word, but I thought it was quite amusing the way the wall just fell apart. And all of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of soldiers there. Yeah, it shows you how close combat some of the situations were. And it is. One of the things that jumped out, and I'm going to talk about it now, Andy, is that there's so many cameos in this film... So we've got Ted Danson's Captain Hamill now and Nathan Fillon's James Frederick Ryan. So he has been mistaken as a missing Ryan brother. So Captain Miller and his troops were probably thinking, oh, job well done, we can crack back on now and <laughs> we can go back home. Or we can go back with our other regiment, our wider team. Yeah, but think of it from uh, James Frederick Ryan's perspective when they tell him all his brothers are dead and he's like, what? Does uh, sorry, I know I'm going to kind of going a little bit too deep here, but isn't there something about his his brothers in still in school or something? So he's like, "What do you mean, my brother's dead?" <laughs> and he starts, and he's inconsolable. Yeah, but then he's... they realise, oh, actually, wrong wrong person. So at this point, you know, it's kind of they thought they were it was over, but it's clearly not. Resentment is starting to set in. Even Miller himself remarks, "Ryan better be worth it." And uh, there's a poignant scene where the soldiers are going through all the dog tags of the dead American soldiers to basically see if if he's amongst the dead. You know, are they, are they going for a hiding to nothing sort of thing? And it's during this scene where Captain Miller gets a lead on where the missing Private Ryan might be. Yeah, and later on there is a disagreement between the troops and whether they should bypass this German base or take it out. They do proceed to t- attack the base as well, and it's, it's Miller saying, I think he says something like, oh... We can't leave it, or what about if the, you know, they take out some of our other troops if we leave it? It feels like they're trying to do the right thing, but it turns out to be quite a bad move because their combat medic, Erwin Wade, who is played by Giovanni Rabisi, and apologies again if I've butchered another name, um, killed from a stomach wound. Now, that doesn't really do justice to what actually happens on screen. It's a very graphic and very harrowing scene. That I don't think any explanation from us can do justice. You, if you've seen the film, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it's, uh, it's a memorable one, that's for sure. It is, and one of the things that kind of sticks in my mind is where he's kind of pleading for more morphine, and I can't remember which one it is. It might be Ed Burns, where they kind of like look at each other because they're kind of thinking, oh, should I waste a morphine on someone who's dying already and save it for you know we might need it later. Difficult, difficult scene. But yeah, very difficult. So, and you know, and it was difficult to watch. So, Captain Miller is really struggling to keep it together. And he hides somewhere, and he, he does burst into tears. They they do capture a German soldier, and 
Captain Miller, though, he does let him go. And you're kind of thinking, oh, no, what, what's happening there? And there is a mini mutiny. And things are getting really heated as well between the, the troops. And Captain Miller is he's just staying quiet here. And he's not getting involved. But then he does defuse the, the situation by telling them a bit about himself. Because at the beginning of the film, it, it's it's basically alluded to that he, he shared none of his private life with any of the other troops. So he kind of diffuses that by telling them a bit about himself. And I think, oh, Andy, I can't remember. Does he say he's a teacher? Uh, that rings a bell, yeah. I think he is a teacher. Let's go with that. Now, they do find Private Ryan. This time it is the right Private Ryan. So, you know, they've done a bit of fact-checking. However, Ryan doesn't want to leave his post. Um, and he, he mentions that the, the army are his brothers now and he doesn't want to leave his, his brothers. Yeah, Miller's men are not particularly happy to start with because they've come all this way and now he's being difficult. Um, but... You know the situation is explained. They've got to ha- they've got to try and defend the bridge. So Miller and his troops decide to stay and help with that. Uh, they're discussing strategy and the set of defensive positions. Then the daunting sound when you can hear this faint rumbling of German tanks approach to to where the American troops are, and we get another really long battle scene. And again, I've not gone into detail with any of my notes, but another really really incredible battle scene here. Yeah, it's one of those films, isn't Andy, where we, we've been guilty of just being engrossed in what's happening in, in front of us. And it is it is really good. There's so many different things happening here um, as well. And one of those is Jackson, who's the American sniper, is taken out in the tower. And then there's also, shortly followed by that, that scene where, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, where one of the American troops is slowly killed by a knife and that was just so it was I don't know what the word is Andy but it made me quite anxious that because it's not like all guns and bombs and explosions it is very it felt very personal and so slow that the, the, the you know the knife kill it was yeah that was difficult yeah personal is a good word this is it's almost like it's more than just war you know you can't you can't desensitize from it when you're up close and personal like that yeah it's um it's difficult that scene now moving on we do see the americans start to retreat to the alamo and however howarth is shot a few times as well so um it's not good news for captain miller's team uh, indeed not nor miller himself he's hit by some debris he's he's knocked off horvath is killed but captain miller is pulled to safety now Upham, who Earlier, it didn't help um, when one of the Americans was being stabbed to death. It's seen on the wrong side of the bridge. So is he going to die? But then we also see Captain Miller um, is obviously shot. And he starts to shoot the approaching tank as well. And I thought this is really good because he's kind of like, he's like, I think he's on his back and he's just shooting with his pistol. And then um, it's just, it's just really well done. This. Yeah, he's kind of, he's slumped, he's... Yeah, he's, he's not lying down completely horizontal, but he's kind of slumped, isn't he? And like with his last strength, he's just firing his gun. That's kind of that last act of of war for him. What's really interesting here for me, and there's that word again, um, the soldier who Miller let go earlier is actually the one who killed him. So you know that's a bit of a bit of a Hollywood twist there, but uh, made for a shocking uh, turnabout of, of scenes here and uh, Upham. I've put finally makes himself useful because uh, there's there's been question marks over just what his use to the squad is, but he finally makes himself useful, kills the soldier, and then the tank explodes um, and he's taken out by one of the the aeroplanes, and reinforcements arrive as well and they defend the bridge. Now it is you know very sad. It's it is however too late for Captain Miller and he's died from his wounds. Yeah, the last thing that Miller says to Ryan earn it which is uh, very very poignant considering the whole purpose of the film and then we we transition back to the old man at the grave the old man turns out is private ryan himself and he's at the grave of captain miller and the film draws to a close at this point now we've we've kind of skimmed over it so it's quite a, a long film very very powerful we'll get on to our ratings in a minute but uh 
check it out for yourself i would say we've tried to do it justice but uh i don't think our words really can for particularly some of the scenes um but there's a couple of other opinions that we like to get sometimes on the podcast and that is those of our wives so jay did your wife watch this with you this time she didn't watch it but she has watched it before we've watched it together she's not a a big fan on war films and especially films that are quite lengthy so she gave this one a miss andy what about you andy did your missus participate not this time but she has watched it with me many many years ago and uh, i believe she is a fan i would say generally i'm going to say this out loud and maybe she'll disagree with me but i don't think she's generally a fan of war films per se but uh, i think she is a fan of this one and i know she's a fan of 1917 randomly just thinking of war films off the top of my head um, i think it was her that actually recommended that to me uh but but sadly no no new verdict this time round but uh, nobody really cares about that anyway what they care about is our ratings don't they so uh, the all important question is jay what did you give saving private ryan out of 10 so andy i'm going to give saving private ryan 9 out of 10 and obviously we're going to talk about the rankings later on so i'm not going to give any spoilers away in terms of where that landed in my top nine films so how about you andy what did you give saving private ryan a very respectable eight out of ten for me which would suggest it's pretty highly placed in the rankings but we'll find out later on when we talk rank bank so imdb gives saving private ryan 8.6 out of 10 so just between me and your score, Andy, actually. They, they are the average of the two of us. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, however, very, very generous. Uh, maybe justifiably so, you might say. 94% on the Tomatometer, certified fresh with a 95% audience score. So in this next segment, this is where we pretend to be in a casting couch. So we are recasting Tom Hanks with another famous Tom. So during season two, we've recast Tom Hanks in each of the films that we've covered so far. Who, who have we chosen? Well, who are our options this week, Andy? So our options are Tom Jones, Thomas the Tank Engine. No, it's not. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Um, Tom Thumb. No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being, I'm being silly now. Let's get back to it. Tom Holland, Tom Hiddleston, Tom Cruise, or Tom Hardy? Those are our choices, Jay. Who are you picking this week and why? So I'm going to pick either Hiddleston or Hardy. Now... I know it's not exactly the same, but I know Hiddleston played, ah, oh, what's that film? The one about the horse. And it's got Benedict Cumberbatch oh, in as well. Not, I want to say War Horse, but it's not that, is it? Yes. Is it War Horse? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, he, the Michael he's in that as well. Yes. Yeah. Very good knowledge there. there a bonus point for any quiz. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, he, he was very good in that film. Um, I think Tom Holland is, is going to be too young to play Captain Miller, especially the leader um, of his little troops. But he could. Tom Holland could play a very good Private Ryan. Um, Tom Cruise could do a job as well, but I think I would have to go for Hiddleston and, or Tom Hardy. And if, you, if you're making me pick one of those, I would go for Tom Hardy. I've seen a lot of interviews with Tom Hardy lately on TikTok as well. He's uh, he's an interesting character. What about you, Andy? Who are you going to pick out of Holland, Hiddleston, Cruz or Hardy? So I'm, I'm disagreeing with you in that uh, I think Hiddleston and Hardy would be too imposing for the role. Too too beefy, you know. Um, I think you need someone who can show a bit of a bit of a vulnerable side but with the nuances of being a leader so i've gone for tom cruise for that reason i think he can pull off that role quite well and tom holland looks about 12 so he's not gonna you know he could be he could be a young ryan or maybe he could be the translator dude whose name we've talked about many times and i've, I've forgot but you know who i mean don't you up him up him yeah first name they don't like it <laughs> <laughs> So moving on to our next segment. So this segment is titled The Six Degrees of James Bond. And this is based on the concept that we are all connected to one another by six degrees of separation. So as we've discussed previously, in season one of The Rating Room, we rewatched all the official James Bond films. So in season two, we're going to explore how Tom Hanks is linked to the different actors in the James Bond franchise. 
So we've explored the Tom Hanks connections with the actors who have played James Bond, our actors who have played our favourite Bond villains, and also the actresses who have played our favourite Bond girls. So today we are going to explore how the original Felix Leiter actor, who is obviously Jack Lord, is linked to Tom Hanks. So Andy, do you want to take us through um, the six degrees this week? If there's six degrees. Well, I've got this one covered for you, Jay. Jack Lord was in The Doomsday Flight with Michael Sarazen. Michael Sarazen was in The Reincarnation of Peter Proud with Steve Franken. And Steve Franken was in Angels and Demons with Tom Hanks. So that means the six degrees of James Bond for this week is completed in three degrees. So uh, we are we are proving the theory correct this series so far. I don't think we've had any any failures in this segment. Let's see if that continues. But uh, enough of Bond. We need our main event segment. The reason you're all listening to the rating room, and that is for the Rank Bank. <laughs> So we're going to go through a number of topics here, as we do every week. Jay, why don't you kick us off? So, as usual, I'm going to talk about the run times. And Saving Private Ryan is a lengthy film, but it's well worth it. It flies by, personally, I think. And the runtime is 2 hours and 50 minutes. Now, that means it comes in at number 2, um, smack in the middle between Castaway at 2 hours 23 minutes, but short of The Green Mile, which ran for three hours, nine minutes. That's a long film. So a very respectable um, second spot in the runtime rankings. Andy, over to you. Indeed. So let me talk box office with you. So we mentioned these stats earlier on. Saving Private Ryan had a budget of $68 million. Worldwide box office was around $485 million with the adjusted box office ranked in second place with just over $902.7 million. So quite a healthy return all round. So these next rankings is where we focus more on the characters or the actors. So I'm going to kick us off and I'm going to touch on the characters that Tom Hanks plays. So obviously we've mentioned in the pod that Tom Hanks plays Captain Miller who is a teacher, Andy, I did check while we were talking through, taught English. And he, I, I personally thought it was a, a very um, strong performance from Tom Hanks. And for me, it was, it was an easy decision in terms of top three. So we pre, well, in my rankings, I previously had Forrest Gump, Andrew Beckett, and Woody. So it's the top three for me, definitely. So I made a difficult decision and I actually put Captain Miller in third spot. So dislodging Woody out of the top three. But for me, I couldn't place it any higher because Andrew Beckett and Forrest Gump, he obviously won Oscars for. And also Captain Miller, um, the, the Tom Hanks, it was a fantastic collection of actors in terms of supporting as well. So there was less, not so much, I won't say carrying of the film, but he, he contributed quite evenly with the other cast members, except for Matt Damon, who's not in it very often. Um, whereas in Forrest Gump, it is pretty much about Forrest Gump. And you, you've got some supporting characters there as well, obviously Lieutenant Dan and Bobber, but he's the main focus. And same with Philadelphia, you've obviously got Andrew Beckett um, and Joe Miller um, by Denzel Washington. So two um, main actors, I would argue. Um so Captain Miller, yeah, top three. Bit difficult, but it was the Oscars for Andy that swayed it. I felt I couldn't really put him higher than that. I don't want to put you on the spot just in case you've got him higher than the two Oscar performances. What about you, Andy? Well, I'm a little bit surprised by your ranking because, uh, pun the pun, but I thought you had a bit of a soft spot for Woody. Um, <laughs> but uh, I understand your, your logic there, and I tend to agree. Um, I've gone top three as well. Um, I've got Andrew Beckett slightly ahead of Forrest Gump, and then I've got Captain Miller in third, just ahead of Paul Edgecombe from The Green Mile. And you're absolutely right, Andrew Beckett and Forrest Gump are somewhat standalone characters, and Hanks gives somewhat standalone, or standout even, performances, whereas in Save It Private Ryan, he is, he is one element of a fantastic cast. Very, very good in his own right, but he has 
supporting characters around him that really carry their load as well. But a fine, fine performance by Hanks um, straight in at number three, as things stand. Let's talk about some of those supporting actors, shall we? One in particular, which would be... You would think it would be Private Ryan, wouldn't you? But it's not in this case. We've gone for Richard Ryburn. Now, the reason we've done that is Edward Burns is second billing in the film, so he is kind of runner-up to Hanks, as it were. But also, we don't actually see that much of Private Ryan, despite his name being the title of the film. So we felt it it fairer to give the slot to Edward Burns as Richard Ryburn because of placement in the order of credits, I guess, and also the, the role he plays in the film. But after all that uh, preamble, he comes in in ninth place out of nine. Uh, as much as the supporting cast is a great supporting cast, he is just one of many. And there is nothing... Well, there's not a great deal that makes me think he stands out from the others in that group. Um, for that reason, it becomes difficult to rank him very highly. So, as things stand, 9 out of 9. Not a bad performance, but not as good as other supporting characters in the other films. So, uh, uh, close but no cigar. What about you, Jay? What's what's your thoughts on Edward Burns as Richard Ryburn? I found that character really annoying um, in the film. So, I... When you look at the list of supporting actors that we've gone through, I'm not going to name them all. Look at look on our website if you want to see the full list. Um, it is definitely the weakest one, so I, I'll put him straight in at number nine as well, bottom of the table so far. We've only got one more week in terms of the rankings left to do, so will he stay there or not? But when you look at the different performances across you know, the range of films like Elizabeth Perkins, Paul Newman, Michael Clark Duncan, Robin Wright, obviously I mentioned Denzel Washington, then you know Tim Allen as well. It's just I just can't see how how can you put Richard Ryburn any higher and Edward Burns. So, but I just his character so grated on me as well. It was such a all doom and gloom. He wasn't very positive, and he was the one that was kind of really pushing the mutiny as well. So yeah, that that is my rationale there, Andy. So moving on, our last rankings in the rank bank um, for this week is the, the film score. And obviously I mentioned I gave Saving Private Ryan 9 out of 10. Now, for any listeners keeping track of our little podcast, will know that I've given one 9 rating already this season, and that was for Forrest Gump. And as we've mentioned countless times on the podcast, we do not have any joint um, film in joint places um, you've got to be the explicitly number one or number two. No joint ones allowed. So, it goes in at number two. Philadelphia, excellent film, but that only got an eight out of ten on my list. So, Saving Private Ryan. And even though it's an excellent film, Andy, I'm just thinking back when I watched it and when I was ranking these two. I I just found Forrest Gump, obviously, is more enjoyable. <laughs> um but I did, that, that kind of swung it for me. Saving Private Ryan is, is an excellent film, but, you know, he didn't win an Oscar. Tom Hanks didn't win, win an Oscar, um, as in he didn't win Best Picture Oscar. Tom Hanks didn't win the Oscar, so Forrest Gump, it, it did. Yeah, it's just above Saving Private Ryan. Will it remain there or not? That's, that's the thing, Andy. And Andy, do you want to remind um, the listeners what you gave Saving Private Ryan and where did it land in your nine films so far indeed so saving private ryan got it's got my first rating of eight which uh makes it a very easy slot to put into the rankings because it puts it in fourth place behind philadelphia with nine and above big with seven so fourth place out of nine so far it's a fantastic film there's there's nothing really you can criticize too much maybe it's a tad too long maybe there's you know, certain things that uh, are not integral to the story. Maybe some of the battle scenes last a bit long. I don't know. But Forrest Gump remains, you know, the absolute pinnacle of Hank's career. 10 out of 10. Green Mile and Philadelphia are just iconic films. This is a 
very, very, very good film. Just doesn't quite hit the heights of the three I've just mentioned. So a respectable fourth place as things stand. Uh, with one more week to go. And with that said, we're about done for another week of The Rating Room. So thank you for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed today's review of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, so we, I know, I know we say this every week, Andy, but we do love hearing from our listeners. So we do encourage you to email us with any kind of feedback, questions, any suggestions you may have. Or if there's any films that you think we should review and rank, let us know. Um, it does help us make better content as well, and it makes the show more engaging for everyone. So reach out to us on the rating room at gmail.com. We'll, of course, do our best to respond to every email we receive. And you can also contact us via our website. So we've got all the show notes on there. We've got all the rankings for every episode from season one and um, season two. And the website is www.theratingroom.com. And we've also got a YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and you can find us at The Rating Room. You can find us on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. And are we still calling it Twitter or is it X? Whatever that site is. Um, follow us on at the rating room send us a message leave us a comment like share subscribe all those things and be sure to follow us so you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes news and information and so we've done nine we're nine out of ten the tom hanks top ten as we are internally calling it maybe we've not shared that name on the on the pod yet but i'm calling it the tom hanks top ten comes to an end next week it's really caught up with us hasn't it how fast this has gone um it's flown by. It has. Um, which is quite appropriate, because next week, I think the film is something about a gingerbread man, isn't it? Oh, no, that's Run, Run, <laughs> As Fast You Can, You Can't Catch Me, and the gingerbread man. It's a different thing I'm thinking of. Um, so the, the final film in the Tom Hanks Top Ten is Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> Ready room.